the throwaway god was was kind of like uh, just a sort of silly one and that's uh karen the goddess of perceived injustice but she's not very good at working out what is correct injustice and what is just perceived injustice and um she fills people with her anger and so when when someone acts out and wants to see the manager they are literally taken over by the spirit of karen which is something we actually all recognize as a society which is why we respond we all go to them all right karen all right karen we are yeah. trying to placate the god goddess behind them not the Welcome to Speculative Sandbox, your audio playground for creative storytellers. My name is Vicki Lawn, and each episode, I and a guest will unpack a fiction trope with an eye for character development and narrative structures. Make sure to look for Speculative Sandbox on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter, where you can join the conversation. Leave comments or questions, or let us know what other tropes we should cover. When the real world just doesn't cut it, let's get lost in a fictional one. Chances are, if you're a regular listener of this podcast, you're familiar with polytheism, the belief of many gods. The Greek gods are arguably the most famous in Western culture. Love is attributed to Aphrodite, war and conflict to Ares, wine to Dionysus, the sun to Apollo, and so on. If future theologians were to examine artifacts from today, what conclusions could they reach about our society that could be interpreted as modern gods? Author Andrew Dart joins me to discuss our modern rituals and belief systems. Which modern god do you subscribe to? And what is the sacrifice in doing so? Um, I'm excited to talk about today's topic, which is all about modern gods. And I think the way that we started talking about this was, I believe you tweeted, either tweeted in response to something or you had an idea about something. Do you remember that? I responded to something on Instagram that you posted. Yes, yes. So, and then I was like, let's talk about it. <laughs> and you're like, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, share with me a little bit about your current projects. Tell me about yourself. Um, yeah, what, what uh, are you working on anything right now? Yes, I'm uh, currently working on uh, my second novel. Um, I've just finished sort of my second draft take on it. I'm self publishing, so it's kind of hard to say where exactly you are in the process without you know anyone saying, you know, you've now done this, you've now done this. So um, as far as I'm concerned, I've just finished my second draft. Um, and it's really hard to describe. The way the way other people have described it is Stranger Things with Cats. Oh, So uh, um, it's effectively the story about a group of household cats who find that there are creatures coming into their neighborhood and threatening children, but the humans can't see them. So they have to do something about it. Oh. So... Yeah, so I'm I'm working on that. Um, still got a fair bit to go, I think, but uh, I'm quite happy with how it is so far. That's that's a great feeling. Um, I've been agonizing over the same manuscript for the past year, and I'm finally in a place where I feel comfortable about it. Speaking of cats, have you played the video game Stray yet? I haven't. I want to, but I don't have any of the big platforms oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah me uh yeah same situation so what me and my kids do is we watch the it's terrible we watch the youtube walkthroughs <laughs> so we're not playing at all but we're <laughs> enjoying it at least 
And um, I it's it's a really cool idea because it's the it's like this world that this cat is exploring, and you can only navigate it navigate it and like accomplish things based off of what a cat could do, right? Mm. And sneaking in and out of buildings and climbing things um, that a human would probably have a lot of difficulty doing. So it's kind of cool to see a different perspective where a cat has the upper hand. And there's yeah. a reason why it's the main character. So that's that's really cool that you have something similar going on as well. Yeah. I mean, the, I've, I've encountered those sort of issues in writing the story in that, uh, you know, you have um, situations where a human would go in and they'd solve the problem within minutes, but you have a cat trying to do the same thing. So in one, one uh, part of the story, they have to move a bucket from one end of the room to another for one reason or another. Mm-hmm. And humans doing it you walk in pick up the bucket you move it a cat trying to do it it's it's that's suddenly a big task for them to do and um you know and it allows me to sort of put tension in where there wouldn't be with 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 human characters gotcha do your cats randomly knock things off countertops uh they they don't they're they're they're, they're, um (laughs) but i'm I'm sure they would if i wrote wrote (laughs) them too much stuff about them (laughs) hanging around at home yeah We, in the story game, you can, and it's actually part oh, of awesome. the, yeah, like you knock things over and you find like clues. And in one scene, apparently the, there's these two humanoid type robots playing chess and you can jump on their chess board and wreck the game and they get upset at you. <laughs> I just thought it was- My, my cats do that. Then, yeah. yeah. Whenever I'm playing board games, they like to jump up and get involved. So. You can totally tell that the creators love cats. Yes. And I, I love that. <laughs> So, okay, I wanted to prepare for you some, you said you were nervous. I wanted to prepare you yes. some rapid fire icebreaker questions. Oh, goodness, just, that, that's which, the worst. I don't know if that makes it worse or better. Yeah. This, <laughs> this is only supposed to be fun. Um, I figured it kind of opens up the conversation a little bit. So we're going to be talking about modern gods. And by that, it's like, okay, how how are we looking at today's world and applying the model of like the classic Greek gods or any other type of uh, uh, mythology onto today's world, but of the classical gods, which would you say is your favorite? Ooh, I had a, a, a think about this. I, I spent strange. I spent like a long time trying to work out what my answer was for it, and then <laughs> one of my colleagues at work um, mentioned, "Oh, do you remember this from um, when you were young, younger? There was a TV series that I used to watch called Monkey," and I was like, "Yes." That is my answer. So my my answer is uh, Sun Wukong from Chinese mythology, who was known as the, as the Monkey King. Now, most people might know him a little bit better by his Japanese version of the name, which is Sun Goku, who is the mm. inspiration for the character from Dragon Ball Z. Mm-hmm. And uh, he is, I'm not technically sure if he's a god or not. He um, was in the ranks of the gods but he kind of was too much of a troublemaker and they ended up throwing him out. So, you know, I think that counts, counts as him being a god. Yeah. Um, he, he, you know, he was born from a dragon egg and uh, oh, a stone egg, I think it was, and uh, just got himself in loads of trouble. He uh, got, like I said, got a job amongst the gods. Um, and when he found out he had the most lowly position amongst the gods, he, you know, effectively caused trouble. He let all the horses out of the stables. He got drunk and wandered around the palace and stole the secret of immortality and then decided to stage a rebellion against the gods and you know, that's kind of why he got chucked out he sounds um, so fun i could see why yeah. you like him um but for me what it was is a like i said there's a tv series when i was younger called monkey it came out the same year i was born and it was effectively a retelling of the um 16th century novel journey to the west 
and is the story of a monk called uh, Tripica. Uh, let me try that again. <laughs> Tripitaka, who is tasked with traveling from China to India to collect some holy scriptures. And she enlists um, the monkey god as her protector along the way. And it's, it's kind of a forerunner to things like Power Rangers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You'd have these, these um, super-powered characters. So there was Monkey, Sandy, who was a water monster and an ex-cannibal. Um, Pixie, who was a pig monster um, consumed by lust and gluttony. And you would have these three characters guarding this monk. And they would wander into a village where it was under attack and then they would go fight the monster of the week and then wander off again. Nice. And um, I absolutely loved it. And uh, Monkey had the, the, these great powers. I mean, he'd already stolen the gift of immortality, but he also had, um, he fought with a staff, um, uh, which he could change the size of. So okay. he could make it massive to beat you with or make it really small and hide it in his ear so people didn't think he had a weapon. Um, he could fly on clouds. He would like call a cloud and then surf along in a cloud. And um, one of, my, uh, one of the, the fun um, powers he had is he could pull the chest hairs out of his body, blow on them and summon an army of monkeys to fight. Wow, that's <laughs> unique. So, <laughs> so yes, it, um, the monkey king, Sun Wukong, is, is my favorite god. Awesome. I, you, I learned so much. That was great. I didn't know about that one. Okay. So then looking at yourself and okay. <laughs> who do you think if gods are real, pull them all out of the sky, right? Like let's figure out which one would you say you actually most subscribe to your lifestyle, your belief system? Like who, who do you think wow. would fall in line with that? My answer to that would be the muses. And that's because I find myself so answer. reliant on them. And I get really frustrated when they leave. <laughs> and if I could put up, you know, um, do rituals and set up like an altar to them and like, please come, I need your help with this writing. So you can, I, this is relates to another question I'm going to ask you. But to me, it's 100%. I live and die by those muses. You're not going to go as far as kidnapping the one and locking them in your basement uh, like in Sandman. I was going to ask you about Sandman. <laughs> <there, man. laughs> okay, that's all right then. Um, that's a difficult question. Um, I feel that, I, um, I care a lot about sort of learning things about the world and about truth and, um, you know, getting to the bottom of the things regarding, regardless of whether it's a comfort truth or things like that. It's something um, I kind of view myself as uh, what we, I would call a skeptic, you know, I, it's scientific skepticism, you know, and that sort of approach to the world. So I'm trying to think of gods that, that kind of embody that. Uh, am I thinking, uh, is it Athena who's like a god of knowledge or maybe I'm a misremembering? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, um, Athena, goddess of yeah, knowledge so and war. Maybe maybe something like that. Um, the war side, I'm not so, uh, well, I'm a, I'm a grump. <laughs> I, can be a right, I can be a right grump. I, I definitely have a sense of right and wrong where I'm like, you know, someone crosses the long line. I'm like, nope, no, that's not right. <laughs> You're a knowledgeable so, grump. That works. Yes, a yeah. knowledgeable grump. There, let's go with that. <laughs> okay, fair enough. And who do you think gets a bad rap? Of, out of all the gods it's unfair we treat them we, we perceive them just it's unfair you know they, they deserve better see it's really hard the only one the the answer that comes to mind is one that i i'm not sure he gets a bad rap anymore and that's uh that's loki mm-hmm. and, and i think maybe that's because he's so 
you know popular these days that's why he is tom hiddleston um, (laughs) for me even in even in the mythology he gets he gets a bad rap you know um Mm -hmm. uh, he he is the one who often comes along and solves the problems that thor causes in the mythology Mm. and so um and you know talk about taking one for the team you know there's the story of loki when there's a i can't remember the exact details there's a, a wild horse causing problems so loki turns himself into a female horse, seduces the male horse, becomes impregnated by the male horse, and then gives birth to a, a, a I think, an eight-legged horse that Thor then rides or something. Oh, uh, wow. I'm, probably, That's like... <laughs> I'm butchering, butchering that story, I guarantee. But, but yeah, I think he gets a bad rap because in, in, in the Norse mythology, he, he is always coming in and fixing the problems caused by the other gods. I think he gets fed up with it and then storms off, which is why he's generally viewed as the villain. But um, wow, so he's like the what is it in like in, in dysfunctional families? He is the there's a word for it when you're the child that kind of gets chat on. Um, yes, yeah, yeah, and, uh, which is unfairly so. And yes, Thor is the golden yes. child. Yes, exactly. Oh, sucks. Wow. Okay, I I think that's a really good argument for Loki. I wasn't aware that he was so proactive, and and I'm, <laughs> I'm not as aware of the. I just see you know, Loki as like the trickster, uh, trickster yeah, king yeah. or trickster god. But that's kind of cool to think that this is someone who's actually creatively solving problems for his entire family. But then Thor gets to like enjoy the splendor and the attention. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, okay, so then my last question was: Are you currently have you watched Sandman? I have. Yes. Just so we finished good. it the other day, so yeah. Including the new episode eleven that they just yes. dropped. Yes, I oh. very much enjoyed the little cat story. Yes, I okay. So I was yeah, absolutely. Watching it going, he's stealing my ideas somehow oh, from no. the past, and but you know, but there's a couple of little elements that are in that where I'm like, I that I've included in my book. Not 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 in not it's not the same sort of story at all, but you know. I was watching it going, that, that was my idea. Oh. I, did you hate that? It's so, yeah, it's, it's, a, it, yeah. <laughs> well, I was, when I was listening to, not listening, but watching, I think it was the death episode, episode six, where he goes yeah. to the bar and every hundred years he meets with that gentleman. It's yeah. actually very similar to V.E. Schwab's book, um, The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue. It's the same idea of someone who has immortality for whatever circumstance and continues to meet that person over and over. But the difference that she brings to the story, and she's friends with Neil Gaiman, I believe. Is it Gaiman or Gaiman? I want to make sure I say this. Gaiman. Pretty sure it's Gaiman. Okay. Um, The difference is that there's a nice gender bent to it because it's a female who is trying to escape the limitations and societal expectations on her gender way back in the day got her immortality and then her curse is that no one can like you know how it's like a gift and a curse the gift is um that she asked people she wanted to be free of people's expectations so they he made her forgettable so you meet someone and they forget you the minute you walk out that door but she has immortality and she will never die until she learns to regret that wish that she made so it's a really interesting concept but I like when I was watching the episode I was like oh this is familiar and then I realized he influenced her but she was able to give it a, a fresh spin so that'll be your challenge as you're coming yes. out with new cat oh, stories it's it's always the way I mean um me and one of my friends work and he's he's very creative as well and we often wander around uh, the village that we work in at lunchtime talking about these things 
and almost without fail, one of us will go, oh, I've had this new idea. And then I'll, you know, so I'll explain it to him. And then he'll turn around and go, oh, you mean like, like in this program or in this book? Oh, and I'll like, like, oh, I hate that. And you're like, I totally came up with that. I, I've not seen or read those things. <laughs> yes. Well, then I'm, I'm afraid that if I were to put that, put a story out there and then I get like canceled because I, you know, supposedly stole it from someone and I'm yeah. like, no. <laughs> We're just, we just have the same muse. Yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. exactly. They apparently don't have as many ideas. Exactly. <laughs> Blame the muse. Exactly. <laughs> okay. So I, I thought an interesting way to kind of explain my approach to today's challenge, which was to come up with modern day equivalents of gods, or at least the same gods, but translated into today's circumstances okay. is the Netflix mirror, uh, the Netflix show Black Mirror. They made a standalone oh, yes. movie called Bandersnatch. Have you seen that? No, I've seen some of the episodes of Black Mirror, uh, okay. but I've not seen that one. So the, the the great thing about Bandersnatch, it's about, it takes place, it's very uh, influenced by the 80s of the build your own adventure stories. And okay. they're trying to create a build your own adventure video game. And the main character is designing his game. He's coding it out. And he has to write everything on paper. And he has to write, you know, the pathways that they should, where the paths split, the branching. Yeah. So he draws those branches to show scenario transitioning to scenario and all the choices you make. But unknowingly, that symbol is evoking a god or a demon. He has no idea. He's not intentionally doing it. But because he keeps drawing it, the god starts to get pulled into his world and his world starts to fall apart. And some of the, like, there's some devastating outcomes. And of course, the entire structure of Bandersnatch is you get to choose your own adventure. You're clicking next and which way, which pathways to go to. So then by the end of it, you feel wrapped up into this weird lore of this uh, build your own adventure symbol that ends up being demonic. You had no uh, idea, but now you're suffering the consequences. So I, I thought it was so interesting to think about how we can examine behaviors that may not be intentionally theological, but could be ultimately interpreted as such when you incorporate group think rituals and belief systems. So I thought that was like a cool way to think about, all right, how are we going to be looking at modern gods today? So the first question I wanted to ask you is what is the purpose of gods? Like what, what role do they play in society? So yeah, I was, I've been thinking about, this is one of the main things I've been thinking about. Um, and I think there are a number of, I think when we're talking about gods here, we're definitely talking about sort of the Greek type of gods rather than like the omni gods of like Christianity and things like that. Mm -hmm. Because um, I don't, you, you can't really have, I don't think a modern omni god. You can, you can have modern smaller gods, I think is, is a way of uh, sort of putting it. Um, and I think the roles they played in history is, Firstly, as explanations for things we don't understand. So, you know, why is that mountain spitting fire? Well, because Vulcan is angry and, you know, in his forge or, or whatever. Um, and so, you know, people have questions, they don't understand them. And so they, they come up with stories and the characters in the stories are usually gods. Mm -hmm. um, likewise, they um, act as sources of guidance. Um, and sort of, you know, they, they help address difficult moral questions, I think. You know, um, you know, they tell us how we should live. You know, you had in the past societies, they were trying to work all these things out and things. And it's, I think it's easier in that sort of way to go, you know, you shouldn't kill that person. And they say, why not? And they go, 
because the gods will be angry with you and they will punish you. And so that's a, that's a way of sort of enforcing it. You basically tell them there's this force that's greater than them and that it can do something to them if they don't toe the line. Likewise, if they do toe the line, then they'll be rewarded by the gods and mm-hmm. everything will be you know, sunshine and puppies. Um, and I think in all, also in a way they, they, they provide like comfort and protection. There's this idea, you know, the idea of an afterlife is very strongly related to gods. You know, the gods have to live somewhere. They live in a, a heaven realm. What happens when we die? Well, we go to join them in some way and everything's wonderful. And so it, it gives people uh, a comfort of, you know, what they'll have, what happens after death. You know, when they lose loved ones, it's okay because they've gone to be with the gods. Um, you know, I, I think those are the, the sort of three main roles that gods fulfill. I think that's a, a great summary. And it's a, it's a really interesting look at human behaviors and, mm. and how we as society interact with each other, particularly the one where you can use the idea of a God as leverage for yes. um, controlling others and telling them, you know, do this because this God wants it. And if you, like you said, do well, we reward you. If you do, if you don't do well, we punish you in the name of this, this deity. And I also, I also see it as like, you can use gods to alleviate yourself of blame right? I didn't wage this war. Aries made me do it. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Completely free yourself of like mass genocide. If you could say, oh, yeah, the god Aries thought I should do it. This is good for all of mankind. And I am the chosen one. There's kind of a sort of um, a mafia type thing to it. It's like, you know, I don't want to break your legs, but Don Giovanni is telling me that I have to do this. And, you know, it's very much the same thing. You have the, the priest saying, well, if it was up to me, I'd let you go. But the gods demand that I sacrifice. Oh, you know? yeah. <laughs> and, and, and it makes it so that you, you, you know, uh, who are you to question the gods? You might question the priest, but you're mm-hmm. not going to question the gods who he's speaking for. And yeah. And it's terrifying for the people who aren't in that position, the ones that are, are in trouble, because they, how do you question or fight someone that supposedly has that authority and connection yeah. to the deity? All right, so let's set the stage. We are looking at present day. Oh, I put Americans, but you're not in America, right? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote this before I knew. Uh, I was just present day civilization. So, what do we have to work with? In America, we have a very strong capitalistic society. Um, I, and because of that, I feel like we create a lot of problems so that we can then sell people solutions. Oh, yes, definitely. Same over here. So. Okay. <laughs> uh, it is a very interesting push and pull when you talk about like wants versus needs. Then over here, we have our government system set up. Uh, we also have our social media, influencer culture, all those things. So what what else do we have to work with? Um, so some of the ideas that I came up with is we are increasingly a global community um and so in a way that we've not been in the past um so you know often you find yourself uh, in situations where you might have a friends that live all over the, the planet and especially in, you talked about like social media and influencer culture and things like that you know there might be people you know all over the world, you know, thousands of people you know all over the world and stuff, but you might not know your next door neighbor. Mm-hmm. And so you have this, this thing where, um, you know, we're trying to, uh, in, we're interacting with the world as a whole, and except our local communities are, are not particularly strong. 
because you know you might have a really strong online community, but you're you know like I said, you don't know your neighbour. I mean, I've lived in where I live now for four years, and I know like two of my neighbours. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever talked to any of them, but you know, obviously, I I I know some people. Not 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 that many people online because I don't tend to do uh, gaming or anything like that online. So, but there's there's people all over the world that I know um and uh yeah so um there's there's that idea of a sort of global community um related to that is the increasingly online society mm-hmm. um you know we do for example this we're, we're talking online um, especially with the uh the pandemic and that lot we you know, we've we pretty much spent two years where most of our communication is online rather than face to face and i think these are definitely you know, problems that, that the world is facing, uh, both in America and in the UK, especially. Um, it is really interesting when you talk about that shift, because back in the day, when we didn't have internet, you think you hear about grandparents, right? We knew we met each other, we went to the same high school, we lived down the street, you know, and then today's dating world, you're meeting people all over the place, that is just a huge span change. But then you think about deities and how religion plays a role. And Many times those gods are based off of, could be based off of your geographic makeup in that one area. So for instance, in parts of Asia with their water dragons, water dragons were associated with um, weather, flooding, all those things. And so there would be temples that were built up in those areas to, uh, to placate, you know, and appeal to the dragon kings in hopes that they could make sure that the weather was nicer. And what's interesting about going global is I'm not just aware of my monsoon rain going on out here. I live in the Southern Arizona um, desert, uh, but I'm aware of the heat, the like the, the terrifying heat um, weather up in Washington state, or I believe the UK was going through. A, yeah, a we heat. recently been ridiculously hot. Yeah. So I'm aware of all these things when we're of tsunamis, you know, along in the Pacific Ocean. And it's it's a heightened level of stress that comes with that increased awareness. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the other things I've got here is that we're increasingly dealing with problems that affect the entire world and require mass cooperation between nations. And that's that's something that is very modern, you Mm -hmm. know. It's, you know, in the, the time of like the Greek gods and stuff like that, you might worry about maybe the next village. <laughs> but, you know, you, you weren't worrying about a country tens of thousands of miles away from you or, or whatever. Um, and knowing that how that country fares has an effect on you. So, for example, the, the war in Ukraine, with Ukraine being a massive exporter of um, wheat or but what what one of the grain products, mm-hmm. and um, and you know how that uh, that suddenly has an effect on countries all over the place. Um, when in you know if you even heard about that sort of thing in the past, you know, it might be years later someone might stumble into a bar and tell you about oh I was in this war like several years ago and that'd be the first you hear about it. But you know these days you know we face worldwide problems pandemics you know global warming these are things that affect the whole planet and mm-hmm. and the actions of people you know in a country who are chopping down all their trees for example affect people on the other side of the world and mm-hmm. yeah 
now I feel all somber. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, it's, <me> too. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's a reality that we're facing. And it's interesting to look at when you think about how it's happened so fast, our global awareness and um, how we've just our overall knowledge of each other has increased compared to like the last several, you know, thousands of years of humanity. Um, the evolution of knowledge has been amazing. So then when we look at today's society, how do we know to, what are we looking at when we want to categorize something as a modern god or a, you know practices following a modern god um so i found this is uh, uh, this i found quite a difficult question to sort of sort of get my my head pinned down on i think the the angle i ended up sort of approaching it from was thinking about where modern gods might come from and then we'd be able to identify the sort of things related to them. So um, thinking about where modern gods are going to come from um, led me, of course, we've already talked about Neil Gaiman and, um, you know, he wrote American Gods and things like that. And he, he as well as people like Terry Pratchett, uh, made popular the idea of uh, anthropomorphic personification, I believe is the term they use, where um, gods come into being because people believe in Mm -hmm. And Neil Gaiman also pointed out that, you know, in modern times, we, we don't worship gods in the same way people did in the past. We're not building, building altars and leaving sacrifices and stuff. Um, but what we do do is we give our time. And this is a resource that we only have a limited amount of and, you know, we can't get more. And so giving your time to something is a form of worship. And so if you give your time to... A hobby or a cause or um spending all your time on social media we've already talked about social media and stuff like that you are in effect giving of yourself in a very meaningful way and so if we look at you know talk about social media for as, as well there's also the idea of when you put yourself on social media you are giving a part of yourself to that so that could be viewed as you are offering up little parts of your soul to, to a god of social media, for example. So with that sort of idea of um, you know, the activities we engage in and stuff, I think it, you can start building ideas of you know, the rituals and the, you know, the, you know, the equivalent of temples and things like that. So um, one of the ideas I had was uh, nerd culture. Okay. And um, so if you look at sort of nerd culture, you have they do sort of have their own sort of um, ways of being, as, as with all, all, all different cultures. So you might have, for example, um, comic book shops are the, the temples or, you know, a place like Forbidden Planet. I don't know if that, that's in America as well. It's a, uh, have it in the UK. It's a comic book, a model shop. And, you know, it's, you go there for all your Marvel stuff and your <laughs> books on fantasy and things like that. Um, and so these are temples. These are like-minded people coming together, together and talk about things that they love in these in these cultures. You have, you know, maybe your yearly pilgrimage to Comic Con is a uh, a thing. You have uh, people dressing up in costumes of their favorite characters, quoting lines from their favorite books and TV programs. You know, um, having. Uh, you know, wearing clothes with symbols of, of the, the things they enjoy. 
the you know greeting each other with a Vulcan salute. Um, you know, oh wow! You I all... just think of like wearing Iron Man clothes and preaching the word of Iron Man. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> and I think if you if you think of the the worship side of it in the in the sense of you know the time and energy you spent on spend on it and obviously money in this aspect, then you know you you have that kind of you know literally they're worshiping with their money with their time their resources these these gods of geek culture um and i think there's also the 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 gain can be from that so th this kind of goes back to the more of the social media thing that you know if you give of yourself you can potentially get fame and fortune mm -hmm. as a reward from and be willing to you know feed the algorithm every day by posting lots of videos and you know and doing what it what it's, it says is popular and things and i think i think that's that's the way i look at it look at the, the 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 idea of the god and the situation first and then you can look at the groups and the um things that people are doing and see the rituals and the the temples and the that, that sort of thing within that that's such a great analysis. I love that. I, I am also, I, I partake in the annual pilgrimage to Comic-Con. <laughs> I have one actually next weekend. Um, it'll be, I'll be promoting this podcast there actually. So cool. um, we'll hopefully get some more listeners from it. But going off of what you're talking about is like looking for the deity, the entity, and then looking at the things around it that support it. It makes me think of a TikTok video that someone posted. I don't know how, if it originally could have come from YouTube. It's a, you know, a countryside and there's cars trying to make their way down the road, but they're, they've stopped. The car in the front had stopped for, I'm guessing, geese to cross. <laughs> but at some point, the geese got turned around in circles and they were started circling the car, like this <laughs> huge, massive group of geese. And they, they <laughs> the music they played with it was so funny because it was kind of showing like almost like a, an alien song like something is happening with that car and the, the geese are worshiping the car because they're <laughs> circling the car and I was like that's exactly what you look for right you look for interesting behaviors in groups of people where they're kind of performing something that feels ritual or at least repetitive they're all doing the same thing and there's like an object that you can center it in and of course that I don't know what I don't do geese like circling things I don't know <laughs> but immediately I want to be like oh who's in the car knock on the window what's going on here you know um it just made me think about that as far as like how do you identify behaviors in the world that could lead to you know a modern day god and I was right there with you with the algorithm I think it's so interesting how <clears throat> over the few years the algorithm has gotten more and more tight hmm. and we are getting more and more desperate it's it's almost like the equivalent of a god that has gone quiet like the like i don't know i'm thinking of dionysus if he would go quiet and you have um like a huge uh, why am i blinking on this word when you don't have a lot of rainfall so your grapes and your vineyards uh, are drought. dying drought thank you <laughs> um and and so then you get more desperate and that was when people started resorting to um pretty awful human sacrifices the idea that scatter the blood all over the fields and a rain will come i remember watching that i took a greek myth class in college and i was a little bit scarred by that um but it's the same idea our algorithm used to be incredibly giving and uh we would 
put something out there, the TikTok of yesterday, yesterday, where um, you can reach thousands, hundreds of thousands of people very, very easily. And you got used to that. And people who have been wanting that fame, and this is their chance to break out, you know, because the world's changing. You can't just wait to find an agent. You got to make a, a, a name for yourself early on your own. And so slowly the algorithm started to choke you out until now it's almost impossible. And now you have to play all these games to try to beat the algorithm. And it's like the, it's like the people that are wondering where the rain is coming and they start resorting to certain behaviors. And every now and then you hit the jackpot and the rain clouds come and you go, okay, that reaffirms this behavior, but really it's the damaging effects too. I mean, murdering people, right. To, to, to try to get the rain God to come to get, in this case, it was Dionysus. Um, think about the mental health that people have to go through when they're like trying to appeal to the algorithm God and they're just not getting it. And the algorithm knows to feed you just enough, just like casinos, the, the rule of large numbers. They always win in the end and you're always losing, but they need to keep you there and addicted. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I think that the, 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 some kind of social media, I, I love the idea of the algorithm as a, as a God. Uh, but yeah, definitely some kind of social media, because I think social media is, is a very obvious way to me of, you know, driving people to do more and more and more to get the same kind of reward. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it, it very much does feel like people are offering up pieces of themselves. Um, and, you know, it's, you know, I, what, one of the, the channels that I will follow, he, a number of times I've heard him mention that, you know, um, this isn't the kind of video I want, I would used to be doing, but I can't get the, the views if I do what I used to do. I have to push the boundary. I have to do these challenges and things like that in order to get the same sort of response. And um, it's, yeah, it, it's completely true. People, you know, I feel they're having to do more and more to satisfy the insatiable appetite of the algorithm mm-hmm. but uh yeah the algorithm is not a loving god no no to, to you know it, it gives just enough to keep the worshippers happy but, but it, it yeah it feeds on them more than anything else i think mm-hmm. what other gods do you have oh um so i've got but kind of related to the algorithm, I came up with one I called, where's my piece of paper, um, called Toxtagram, who is the goddess of distraction, the mistress of the infinite scroll, the source of procrastination, and uh, the revealed self. And it's, the, it's very much related to social media and okay. about how, as I've, I've said before, the idea of um, people spend their time consuming uh, and you know they, they they put other things on hold you know I'm just going to sit there and read a few more TikToks or something mm-hmm. like that and they 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 dedicate large parts of their lives to just scrolling through things whereas on the other side you've got people who are developing the content and they're they are literally sacrificing parts of themselves to this this um this god who is you know a god provide that you know it provides some forms of entertainment in response can make some people famous you know things like that but again it's it's just if you if you think of it as people offering up parts of their soul it is literally feeding on the collective souls of all of the subscribers to these various social media channels 
It's interesting because, you know, we're, we're talking about the idea of souls and we can think back to, you know, mythologies where it's like, I think of Hercules cartoons, right? Where you have like, <laughs> this soul is this little gray bubble thing that moves through and you can see that, you know, it feels very fantastical. But when you talk about the soul, as far as like your well-being and your mental health, and you think about people who pour their whole being into a job, you know, whether it's yes. creating the algorithm or just any work in general, hustle culture and your soul's getting eaten away and you can tell because your mental health is suffering and same by those people that are consuming social media and they're, they're as you're saying the endless scroll I, i've seen so many influencers now decide to jump off because it's been hurting them negatively so when we say transfer transferring and affecting and giving up of your soul it's like you can see that you feel it in yeah. how in your own health yeah no definitely it's uh yeah it's a worrying thing that the I mean, I'm just as bad. I, I, I'm not on, I'm on Instagram and YouTube. I don't, I'm not on TikTok or, um, I can't remember what the others are called, Twitter, Twitter. Um, or Facebook or anything like that. Um, but yeah, I, I know I spend way too much time on YouTube and I know that I pick up my phone way too many times a day to check Instagram and uh, things like that. And it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely a part of me that, you know, when I'm doing that, I'm like, I could be doing something better. I should, I should, I should be writing rather than watching YouTube videos. But I'll just watch, just finish this one, or or maybe the next couple, and then I'll go do something. And yeah, yeah it sucks you in. No one's safe. And for me, no. it started out as a form of play, which I think is incredibly important for people. And when you know, when you get stuck in the grind and working the nine to five or longer. Um, it, you need that play. Your work isn't always necessarily your play and social media made it, you know, there's games on your phone and you can talk <laughs> to people and you chat and your social life is there, but then you introduce the algorithm, which then caters to negativity and outrageous, you know, clickbaity headlines. And yeah. then, then the quality in which you start to consume is no longer fun. It's a little frightening. And so for me, it's like, I, I value, um, the ability to kind of like stimulate my brain to break up, you know, you and I both in creative endeavors. Um, it helps to just kind of stimulate, like poke at your brain. Right. But yeah. then it's the way the world has evolved. It's, it comes with a cost. It's, it's like when you, you know, strike a deal with the devil, you know, it comes with a, a wish and it comes with a trick kind of thing, you yeah. know? Um, yeah. I don't, I don't blame you. I'm in the same boat. <laughs> My other god is a, I actually decided to analyze Hestia, who is the family god, because I'm a little worried about Hestia right now. <clears throat> I feel like she's either gone cold. She, so Hestia is the family god and she takes care of the hearth and the idea that she keeps your home warm and um, fuzzy and, and all that good stuff. But I feel like that hearth has grown cold and I'm looking at the systems we've eventually created in our societies where the family center is not highly valued. And it didn't really dawn on me that this was the case here in America, at least until I actually got pregnant uh, about 10 years back and started a family of my own. And then I realized that the system is set up to be a, a lot of obstacles and, you know, you have to, you have the pressures of uh, your work counteracting with the pressures of the family and uh, 
they're not sympathetic to either, right? You have, you're, you're going to sacrifice one over the other. And hopefully in today's modern society, you have a happy medium where people understand you. Um, the answer isn't necessarily to not work because the high cost of living has made it so that it's essential that you have a two income home, at least where I'm living. And um, it, it's just beneficial that way to, to be able to support your family. And I grew up in a household where my mother didn't work. And if my dad lost his job, I, I told myself I would never, ever experience that level of stress because I wanted to, that added security of two jobs in the household. So anyway, um, when, when you are in a working place, you're given, I, you're going to have to tell me how the UK is because in America, <laughs> we are known for our shitty maternity leave, uh, sick days. Um, you know, when your child gets sick, you can usually count a week for them and a week for you. And that would basically deplete your entire year of sick days. And um, I was just like, what is going on here? And even when my kids started going to school, I realized if I had been, if I had a stay at home parent, I would be able to juggle the demands of everything way better. But that just wasn't how our household was structured at the time. So I, you know, it's even the idea of the American dream, which is to buy a home. Buying a home now is very, very expensive. And they want you to move out of your house to buy a home, the movement away from the intergenerational homes, because then if they could break you up into four people living in four homes, but imagine all that debt that, you know, that that's now being put on that family. And so I just, I look at the, the family structure, the stress that's placed on them during this pandemic. I think parents of young children were hit so hard because you were expected to work at home and teach your kid at the same time. And your kid didn't want to learn. Right. Um, so anyway, I felt like that was kind of me analyzing the systems that have broken down Hestia. And I'm hoping that with existing policies, my workplace has gotten way more flexible that we can start bringing her back to life. Sounds good to me. Yeah. I mean, um, I've worked in various different, um, places in the UK with, with different rules and regulations. I mean, the, uh, the company I work for now, when I first started there, was a very small uh, company. You know, we were just run out of a, a couple of room building in a little village. And uh, we, we didn't really get sick leave. Um, basically, if you were sick, you just didn't get paid. Um, mm -hmm. And so, but now that company has been taken over by a, you know, international company. And suddenly I get sick leave and get paid for it if, I, if I'm not feeling very well and it's it's it feels really strange because I've kind of used to the idea of not taking sick if I, I have to be really ill to be take sick leave but now I've got the option if I'm not feeling up to it I can't take a day off without having to worry but uh, yeah I do I agree with you there's there's um, building up a good uh, home protection gods uh, there's a there's an idea in, um, I think it's the, the Jim Butcher uh, Dresden Files books with the, um, the, the threshold of houses and how in the old days, the, the threshold was a very important thing for keeping evil forces out. And it would be because all the people would live in this houses together and there'd be lots of family and love and you know, friendship in there. But these days, you, know, you rent a place, you don't buy a house, so it's not really yours. And you know, you, you, you might have a, a housemate who you know, changes when they have to move town. And so the thresholds are very weak so that the evil forces out there have easier access 
to our lives and can make them more miserable for learning. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, you, you, the, the, the god of um, hearth and home definitely is, is waning of, of late. <laughs> yeah, I, I think about societal shame that when millennials started moving back in with their parents, the shame that was associated with that. Why aren't you moving out and being independent? Um, and it's like, okay, I mean, if someone wants to choose that, I mean, I was able to, to move out from my parents' house and, and support myself, but I also understand the systemic issues that made it so my peers had a, a more difficult time. But the idea that we are separating all day long, when you look at today's lifestyle, you know, eight, nine hours out of the house, working the grind in a separate place than your spouse and your kids are somewhere else too. You know, it's just, it's, it's just an interesting concept. And I think in Europe, I've heard, I mean, this is a great, you tell me like how accurate this is, but at least in France, I believe there's a lot of time that's dedicated to family, like lunches, you go home for lunch and, but I know that your, your school days might also be kind of long. I'm just, I'm just thinking out loud now. Uh, um, I don't know what it's like in France. I, I can't speak for them. Um, yeah, it's, I, I mean, I work from home a lot of the time at the moment, um, you know, going to the office a few days a week. Um, we're still sort of easing back into office work following the pandemic and that lot. But even working from home, you know, I work in one room, my, my partner works in the other room. And, you know, we see each other a couple of times a day, <laughs> but we're in the same building. And so, yeah, I can I completely get that side of it. Yeah. What is your thought? of I, and I feel like the role that the media plays because when I like either there as a standalone deity or not because I know that when we talk about systemic change when people were first going home the media spouted all these headlines about how people this isn't good for you and then when the pandemic kind of we got to this point and people were people were legitimately saying we don't want to go back we found out that we like it home then the media kind of there was like a war, you know, being presented in the headlines. And I always felt like it was, it was always leveraging corporate interest because corporations were not happy about, yeah. you know, not having that oversight. And so whenever I was reading the headlines, I'm like, is this real or is this bot? So the confusion that's presented in, in these circumstances, I, I would love, and I work in PR, I love to believe in the legitimacy and the ethics of, you know, news for everybody. Um, but I'm also aware that things can be bought. And so I'm just like, what are your thoughts on the role the media plays as far as human behaviors and modern do- and modern gods? I think if we think of the media as a god, I think it's a god that feeds on fear, negative mm-hmm. emotions. You know, the the I, I think there's statistics that show that um, the murder rates in places like America have absolutely plummeted over the years except the but the reporting of murders has gone through the roof and so people think they live in a more dangerous society when actually the statistics show the opposite Mm -hmm. and i think yeah very much the especially the the news media and sort of that side of it is if it's a god it's a god that feeds on the fear and create creates um you know things for people to be scared of and um, distances people from each other and reasons why you can't trust your neighbor and you know um, is just breaking people up into smaller and smaller groups so that it can prey on the individual fears of those people um yeah the generational that's, that's... war the generate what the generational age war 
where you yes. can't they've they've sicked you against your own grandpa against yeah. your own child which yeah. that's another way that we're losing Hestia you can't even trust the people in your own family no exactly exactly and they, there's all more and more ways to sort of divide people up and I think that this this plays in with all the other things we've talked about you know um we're kind of sort of building a pantheon of gardens and I wonder if as well as feeding on our time and our you know devotion and our fear and things like that there is definitely elements of singling out you know your flock so you have the young people are drawn in by social media whereas the the older generations might still be watching new the the, the news channels and stuff and they're they're drawn in by the stories that tells and things like that and so yeah there's lots of dividing up of your the god's flocks by you the different approaches to to gathering people interesting interesting how something that is kind of creating the idea of community is actually very divisive yes yeah i mean yeah you look at things like social media and that but it's very divisive uh-huh. you know you, it's the the, the the they it advertises itself as a way that you can bring all your friends together and stuff but it doesn't it just creates little clicks and you know you have the, all the people over one side who believe one extreme position and the people the other who you know, believe the opposite and you know they'll throw insults at each other but they'll never listen to each other never interact on a sort of human level it's and and you know social media and the internet allows people to be their worst selves in many ways you're hidden behind a screen you can say things to people online never dream of saying to them face to face and i think if we view that as an aspect of what the gods are trying to generate there's you know the feeding of those on those negative emotion on those hostility of dividing people and weakening human connections in order to you know feed themselves on things chilling do you have any other god examples um yes i've got i've got one uh, i've got two one's just a silly sort of throwaway thing but um i had an idea for a kind of um i want to say like a two-faced god or more of maybe a, a, a pair of twin gods might be a better way of uh viewing it and they're both um gods of knowledge and information um, okay. but very, fill, fulfill very different roles and have very different views on things. So on the one hand, you've got Google, who mm-hmm. is a god of knowledge. And this god represents the sort of sum total of human knowledge and information. Uh, Google is a very generous and enthusiastic dispenser of this knowledge. You know, always willing to try and answer your questions. It's a guide to the lost, a teacher, you know, to, to people, uh, performer when they seek entertainment um but a lot of the time it cares more about um giving you the information as quickly as possible um it's not a particularly moral being i think it's mm-hmm. a sort of an amoral being because it doesn't care if you're looking up um how to make the perfect gift for grandma or you know where can i buy an assault weapon it doesn't care it just mm-hmm. cares about providing you with the information and it cares about gathering more and more knowledge to itself so that it can you know grow its you know its banks of information and to make you keep coming to it for information and for answers um on the other side its twin 
is a God I'm calling Jack, spelt J-A-Q, or short for just asking questions. Okay. And this is the God of the conspiracy theorist, the mm. God of the information that they, all in capital letters, don't want you to know. Uh, it's, you know, it views itself as the one that really cares about the truth. But in many ways, all it cares about is finding answers that Google won't tell you. You know, it's, um, it is, I think there is a very fine line between sort of conspiracy theories and mythology. So uh, something I spend way more time than is healthy looking into is uh, the flat earth conspiracy theory, mm -hmm. which I find the people who believe that absolutely fascinating. Mm -hmm. um, and I think there is a definite aspect of mythology in there. You know, the people who believe in the, uh, who genuinely believe in the, the flat earth, um, they see themselves as the outsiders who really care about the truth. They're the people who are going out and finding the real answers for things. And they live in a world that is full of lies, that is full of powerful forces arrayed against them that don't want them to know what's really happening, that keep the masses down and control them with this disinformation. And they are you know, very much the heroes of their own story. And I think um, a god like Jax would, would feed on this, would um, allow people to find more and more things that seem right, more and more connections that are hidden beneath the surface of the information that the rest of the world knows, and allow people to feel very special because they know the answers that the rest of the world doesn't. And so, yeah, the, the, these twin gods of knowledge feed in different aspects of our desires for information. Interesting. So when you were talking two-faced or, tw or twin gods, my, as you were describing this, I envisioned like a figure that, and when you look at him from one direction, he's like, you know, very form um, or very function, I should say, where he deliver, he or she delivers the information you ask for. And it's about, you know, how efficiently can it deliver it to you? And then he, it turns around and it's then it's like a more chaotic uh, yes. version of itself that the information is seems more like there's a lot a lot of noise because you're trying to decipher what is real and what's real what's not real but then you have a lot of energy too because you have people feeding into these the information and adding context for the conspiracies yes and and how like that entity could if it's a two-faced entity how that could be at war with each other like it'd be a really interesting character yeah, it, I mean, if you, if you think of it in terms of what we see with like a lot of, of with Google uh, and social media and stuff like that, there's lots of uh, cracking down on conspiracy theories at the moment. Um, I mean, uh, if you talk to any flat earther, they'll tell you that YouTube is hiding the truth. It won't allow you to search for flat earth videos anymore. You know, it doesn't want you to know the truth going on. So you could have this idea of the the google side of the personality is dominant and is trying to undermine the jack side of the personality oh, so um, they don't like each other no because oh. they, they 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 both see themselves as the purveyor of the truth but the truth that they give is different to what the other one does and so they are very antagonistic against each other i love that that's so cool. Someone's going to take that idea now. You better. Yeah, totally, totally, yeah. <laughs> uh, 
knowing my luck, I'll open a book tomorrow and that'll be <laughs> the, the premise of it. So. Wow, I really like that because you think about the yeah the war that is happening right now between information and conspiracies. I also think too about how Google Google used to be something where I used to go something's broken on Instagram. What's going on? And it would take me to like some random backwoods like forum and <laughs> someone would have the same confusion and I would get an answer. But now I'm noticing that if I have a problem with Instagram or whatever, there's a very special list of curated entries that hit me first on a Google yes. search. And I'm like, I am starting to notice that those with the money have the ability to push their stuff to the top. And they've always had that, you know, the, the what are they called? SEO. Um, and, but now it's getting so strong that I can't find, I'm like, I know I'm not the only person that's having this issue with Instagram, but I can't find anybody. All I'm finding yeah. is Instagram's page and they're not giving me the information I need. It's almost like censorship. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's wow. definitely, a, the, I mean, the, 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 the conspiracy people's always going on about censorship and stuff, but I think, yes, you've definitely got a sort of corporate sensitive censorship where it's like you know the answers are there but you're going to have to scroll past all these ads first mm -hmm. and whereas definitely before it wasn't like that i mean same sort of thing with with youtube uh, we were talking about how the algorithm has changed changed that i i i remember being a, a fairly early adopter of youtube where it was it was really quite basic and you know um there, what you didn't definitely didn't get the same sort of feel of you know here's what's popular you know here's what you must do in order to get followers and there would be I, I I mean I still follow a lot of the same channels but they would be very niche sort of things you know this is a discussion about this uh, aspect of philosophy or something like that and um, those you know there'd be lots of people doing very niche things but these days you can't do that mm -hmm. to get the the information so that is in its, its own way a sort of form of censorship i think it's uh, oh yeah it's the self classic, censorship <laughs> well yeah you buy yourself a refrigerator then you get nothing but fridge content you're like i already bought a refrigerator this isn't help me this algorithm yeah. isn't working <laughs> exactly so what was your throwaway god um my throwaway god was was kind of like uh, just a sort of silly one and that's uh karen the goddess of perceived injustice and uh <laughs> and she is a goddess who cares desperately about um you know justice and making sure people uh, are treated fairly but she's not very good at working out what is correct injustice and what is just perceived injustice and um she fills people with her anger and uh um so when when someone acts out and wants to see the manager they are literally taken over by the spirit of karen which is something we actually all recognize as a society which is why we respond, we all go to them, all right, Karen, all right, Karen. We are yeah. trying to placate the god, goddess behind them, not the person themselves. Oh, that's amazing. The idea that this has already happened, that the, the god, we're all subconsciously aware of it just happened yeah. globally. We've acknowledged Karen. Oh, so good. I love that. Well, oh my gosh. So we've been talking for an hour. Wow. And it's been amazing. And you were nervous yes. and you had nothing to be nervous about. It was so oh, good. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you have great ideas. I'm so glad that you're able to share them with me. I'm really excited about uh, sharing this conversation with uh, the listeners. Cool. And for those that are listening, if you have ideas for modern gods, please visit Speculative Sandbox on Instagram or Twitter and share that with us because we would love to hear and share and show your ideas. 
So then um, I already, I actually had planned a send off question for you, but I moved it to the icebreaker section. So I guess I'll just ask you this. Do you have any final words or promotions that you'd like to leave us with? Um, yeah, I guess, I guess I'm very bad at sort of self-promotion. Um, I've uh, written a book called uh, Little Words of Wisdom, which is available on Amazon. Uh, it's a story about a uh, widower who makes fortune cookies and one day he discovers that his fortunes all come true and sets off to uh, find out the implications of that. Um, so yeah, that's available on Amazon. Um, I also have an Instagram channel called Rabbit Pirate, um, which you know I put information about the projects I'm working on and things like that and generally what I get up to. So please come and follow me on that. And um, oh, the other thing uh, is I'm part of a group called Cambridge Skeptics, who and we do a YouTube channel that is kind of say I say the opposite to this. We focus very much on fact and science and stuff like that, rather than fiction and speculation. Um, and so we do we have guests on to talk about various topics of science and things. Uh, we just had uh, an astronomer on talking about the James Webb Space Telescope, which was really interesting. And so, yeah, we're on YouTube. There's Cambridge Skeptics, if you want to come find us on there. Speculative Sandbox is a volunteer-run podcast that relies on the collaboration of fellow creators like you. Join the conversation and participate in fun polls and questionnaires on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. Interested in being in a future episode? Our DMs are open, or you can email speculativesandbox at gmail.com.